Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Last night, Senator Kamala Harris accepted the nomination as a Democratic candidate for vice president. In the speech, she made the issue of race her centerpiece. Senator Harris and other speakers, including former President Barack Obama, talked about this summer's unrest and the need for equality and racial justice. The theme was echoed throughout the night, even at our Illinois delegation meeting right before primetime. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul spoke last night. Attorney General, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You really called for vigorous debate under what the Democrats should do when it comes to police brutality, the issues of racial equity and racial injustice. So talk about why was it important for you to address your fellow Democrats on this issue? Yeah, I think when we come to this season of partisan battle, we forget to also just look in the mirror and uh, make a commitment beyond November 3rd as to what we're going to do under our own tent, so to speak. And under the Democrat tent, you have a lot of diversity, um, not only just uh, national origin and, and racial diversity, but you have a great diversity of views, which I think is a healthy thing. And you've you got to allow for vigorous debate. You can't be necessarily uh, aligned on every thought. And that's a healthy thing. Right. It's a healthy tension. You know, you, you said, and it's a great quote, you said, we shouldn't be duped into believing that we have to take sides on this issue. What yeah, do you mean by that? Well, you know, as we looked at recent events in Chicago, for instance, that grow out of protest of uh, law enforcement abuse, you know, oftentimes when people complain about law enforcement abuse, there's a response of, well, what about black-on-black crime? Or if somebody in turn uh, complains about violence towards police officers or looting, people will say, um, well, what about law enforcement abuse? We can't be tricked into saying we can't be against both. We have to absolutely be against violence against police officers, absolutely be against uh, looting of businesses that just undermine our capacity to have this conversation, and absolutely be against excessive use by police, excessive use of force by police and um, bias-based policing. We can be against that all. You can be in support of a police officer that's doing their job the right way, but against the notion that another police officer may do so differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, and last night, Senator Harris, uh, in her acceptance speech of the vice presidential nomination, she dove in on the idea of racial and economic inequities. And that seems to be a big part and a big focus of what she wants to bring to this campaign. Do you see it that way? Do you see that this could be a moment where issues around race and, and equity might actually bubble up to be more of a priority in the Democratic Party? Well, I think if you follow the recent conversations, I think there's been something different about 2020. People have been freed up to talk about race and racial inequities and economic inequities in a way that I don't recall uh, ever in my lifetime folks doing with such openness and in every forum of conversation. And so I think there is an opportunity and uh, we have to seize it because, you know, uh, seasons 
fade away. And uh, if we don't take advantage of this time when people are having these conversations, they're having it in the boardroom, they're having it in the neighborhood. If we don't take advantage of this time when we've got the nation's attention, then uh, shame on us. Yeah. You know, you made news as you joined 14 attorney generals around the country uh, to go in on a class action to sue the post office or the U.S. Postal Service and the Postmaster General for some of the cuts. They have recently suspended those cuts, said we're going to do it after the election. We're not going to do it right now. We don't want to look like we have impropriety on our hands. Is that enough for you? Is that enough that the Postmaster General DeJoy is, is pushing or, or pulling back on some of those changes? Well, as I understand it, and I, I saw the press release that uh, Postmaster DeJoy uh, put out, it's, to me it's but a press release, it's but an announcement, and I don't have confidence in it. We're also trying to make sure we track down the changes that may, may have already been instituted and make sure that we can have um, an opportunity to have those reversed. People rely on the Postal Service for more than the voting that's going to take place by mail this year. We have seniors and people with disabilities that rely on the Postal Service uh, to get their medication. We have people who are expecting and uh, in dire need of their Social Security or unemployment checks that they get through the Postal Service. We have people in rural areas that are heavily reliant on on the Postal Service to transact business. And so it's more than just voting, and I'm not comforted by uh, DeJoy's announcement. You're absolutely right. You split it two ways. It's the efficiency and the actual job of the Postal Service, which we've seen, and we talked to Alderman O'Shea in the 19th Ward and others in Chicago about seeing less mail delivery and, and less service. But then there's the other issue, which seems to be dominating the political headlines, which is about uh, funding for mail-in uh, voting. How do you make sure, as the Attorney General, as a Democrat, and in, in a political party that is opposite of that in the White House and who appoints the Postmaster General, that this isn't perceived to be a lawsuit over politics as opposed to service? Well, just what I said a few moments ago, it's not all about voting. You know, you've got Republican seniors and Republican people with disabilities, and you've got Democrat seniors and Democrat people with disabilities that rely on the Postal Service right now, not in the few weeks when we're voting, right now to get their medication. You've got Republican people who are unemployed and Republicans who are relying on their uh, Social Security, as you do Democrats. They're in dire need right now, and so they're relying on the Postal Service right now. It's not political. You know, you've got areas of the state that are rural areas that are, you know, people would characterize as uh, more Republican or more red areas um, that are probably more reliant on the Postal Service than areas that folks would characterize as more Democrat. Yeah. So, so it's not political. And maybe it's not political, but it's ideological. In the sense that the president of the United States has said for the last two to three years that he wants the post office to run more like a business that is being taken advantage of by big companies like FedEx or big companies like Amazon and that it should be more competitive. And he brought somebody in to reorganize it to be more efficient and competitive and not to lose so much money. Now, it's a service. It's not a business. And that's where we're at this conversation we're having in this country right now. It's not a business. It's a service. But can you fault the president for trying to find a way to make it less reliable on taxpayers to get this job done. There's nothing wrong with trying to focus on efficiencies, but there's a process. There's a process that's put in place statutorily, and neither the president or postmaster general DeJoy can exceed their authority because there's a statutory requirement that they go before the Postal Regulatory Commission before they enact any sweeping changes. The 
president nor DeJoy can just ignore the law. Right. Last time I had you on the program, we were talking about the idea that you had floated a couple years back about licensing police officers. Mm -hmm. This is really uh, something that was part of your criminal justice reform packages when you were in the state Senate. And you brought it back up here uh, this summer. Where are we with that? Is that something that you feel has legs that's, that's moving forward in Springfield? Yeah, yeah, we've had several meetings, and these are meetings of law enforcement heads. Um, so uh, representatives of the Police Chiefs Association, the, the Sheriff's Association, the Law Enforcement Training Standards Board, and the State's Attorney's Association in my office. My office is uh, hosted and run these meetings, and uh, we've had an open discussion and substantive ideas thrown out. And so we're being very deliberate about it. We're not just trying to slap something together. Mm-hmm. And we're basing it on some of the challenges that those who have had to run law enforcement departments have, have faced through the years in disciplining officers who have not conducted themselves to sort of a code of conduct that one would expect of a police officer. From your vantage point as the top lawyer in the state, and really to be the lawyer for the people. When you see the kind of unrest that happened over the last week in Chicago and you see the response from uh, the mayor and from police to bring the bridges up, to put more officers on the street, uh, some of the uh, reports of uh, physical abuse of the protesters uh, on Saturday, what's your reaction to? I mean, what are you paying attention to when uh, law enforcement and the protesters kind of clash like that from your vantage point uh, in the attorney general's office? Well, within the attorney general's office, we wear multiple hats. You know, we are law enforcement as well. You know, we prosecute cases. We come in for state's attorneys throughout the state to prosecute all sorts of cases, as well as the cases we have statewide grand jury authority for. At the same time, we are a party adverse to the city and monitoring the implementation of a consent decree. So we're... um, sort of on both sides of the fence there. The reality is is that we've allowed things to bubble up to a point where we have these protests, many of which have been undermined and hijacked by parties that might not even have the purpose of most of the peaceful protesters. And so that's disturbing. I've never had to serve in the role of being a police superintendent or a mayor of Chicago. Those are very difficult jobs, and particularly under these circumstances. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful as to not throw all protesters into one bucket and say they're all the same, and the folks who have led peaceful protests are the same as the folks who have looted. They're not the same. And we have to be careful not to have that same broad brush about police officers. There are plenty of police officers who have endured um, things that I don't think you and I would be able to endure with regards to people throwing bottles with urine and feces at them and water bottles and other items that can cause harm to them. And if there's some overreaction by some police officers, we can't blame all the others who have stood there and taken a lot of this abuse. So we have to be careful as to how we discuss this and we can't generalize. Okay, my last question for you has to do with, you know, as you you floated the idea of licensing police officers, you told us it's moving forward. If someone is listening to this and they feel like maybe they're in a community where they're still having uh, friction with police officers, we saw in Inglewood the police shooting and not necessarily feeling that the governments in the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago are listening to their concerns. How fast does this have to move? Attorney General, how fast does this have to move so people do feel like there is a change, a systemic change, especially since what we saw with George Floyd? 
Well, we have got to take advantage of the spirit that's out there, the the season that it is where people are talking about this. And so we do have to act soon on this, but we can't act hastily such that we just throw something together that does not have the long-term impact that we would want to have. We want to create a code of conduct for police officers. We want to make sure there's something at the statewide level that if you have a police officer who hops from police department to police department committing acts uh, that can be characterized as misconduct, uh, is not able to do so, that they can have their certification or their license taken away from them so they're not able to serve as a police officer. And we want to restore the public trust in police officers who are doing their job the right way. You know, there are a lot of police officers who are doing that, and, you know, they get hit with the broad brush, and it's a difficult time for morale for police officers. And so this can serve to satisfy the community and and people like me who have been on the receiving end, you know, as a young man of um, police bias. And as well as restoring the faith in police officers such that police officers who do their job the right way are appreciated. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raul, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that's Reset for today, August 20th, 2020. I'm Justin Kaufman. Check us out back here tomorrow. Continue to listen to this podcast. Bye. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.